Welcome to this podcast by The Rocks Church. We hope you find it challenging and inspiring. For more information, visit therocks.church. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Daniel. I'm part of the team here at The Rocks. Before I begin today, I just want to, again, remind you, if you have never done follow and you've finished answer with us and you haven't done follow, I want to encourage you to sign up. I want to encourage you to join in in this five-week Bible study, if you want to call it that, uh, with me and uh, some of the other leaders in this church. And we're going to learn together how we can follow Jesus better in our, uh, in our daily walk with Him. I trust that this is going to build your faith, and it just so happens that we're starting a brand new series today called Faithful, and doing follow while the series is going on is going to be a perfect way for you to build your faith. So I want to encourage you to do just that, all right? Well, let me begin by uh, telling you this story. Uh, Ten years ago, a young man by the name of Matthew Warren took his own life with a gun uh, in his home in California. He was only 27 years old, and he has been battling depression since he was really, really young. And uh, I just want to encourage you this morning, if that's you, if you are someone who's battling with depression, um, we want to let you know that we love you, and we want to let you know that help is available, and there is uh, a way out. I believe in a God who can deliver us from that. Uh, if that means you must need, uh, you must seek professional help, please do, because they're part of God's uh, tool sometimes to restore us, to, to heal us, and to bring us back um, again. So uh, that's what happened to Matthew Warren. You might not have heard of his name before, but you may have heard of his father, a famous pastor and author by the name of Rick Warren, who wrote a best-selling book called Purpose Driven Life. I remember when I heard this story for the first time, I was a new father at the time. Jaden was only six or seven years old, and I thought to myself, I just couldn't imagine what Rick Warren must have gone through with such devastating tragedy like that. I, 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 I thought to myself, what if it was me? What if it was me who lost a son? I, I just couldn't imagine. I, I believe that kind of tragedy is enough to shake anyone's faith to the core. I, I believe that kind of tragedy is enough for you to question everything that you know about God, everything that you know about life, everything that you know about faith. I just couldn't imagine. I didn't know what I would do if I was put in that situation. And what's amazing about that is not too long after that incident, Pastor Rick Warren tweeted uh, in his Twitter this amazing tweet, and he said, when in pain, pray. When, in, when you worry, worship. When in grief, share it in your small group. He never lost his faith. In the face of what is probably the most difficult tragedy, in his life, he never lost his faith in God. He never lost his faith in church. He's ne he never lost his faith in humanity. In fact, when he discovered there was a man who sold Matthew, his son, an unlicensed gun that he used to take his own life, he said, I pray that that person who sold the gun to Matthew would seek forgiveness in God, but I've already forgiven him. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine having that kind of faith? You know, regardless where you are in your spiritual journey, maybe you're here this morning, you don't even believe in God. Maybe you are new to this whole faith thing. You don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus. That's all right. But imagine with me, right? Isn't it true that when you meet someone with a faith like that, 
you, you can't help but be impressed, right? You can't help but say, that's amazing that someone can have a faith like that in the face of tragedy like that. And then you wonder how a person could have such faith. And more importantly, you may be wondering how I can have that kind of faith and, and what that kind of faith will do to my life. And, and this morning, I want to I start by, by, uh, by you imagining with me, all right? I want everybody to play along. Again, it doesn't matter if you're a follower of Jesus, follower of Jesus or not. It doesn't matter if you're religious or not. I want everybody to play along, all right? Imagine with me that you have this unshakable faith that, number one, God really does exist. And not only that, but you also have this unshakable faith that this God knows you by name. And not only that, you also have this absolute confidence that this God actually genuinely cares about you. Imagine having that kind of faith in your life. How different would your life be? I'm talking about having the kind of faith that when things go bad, you say, there's nothing I can do about that. I'm just going to trust God that God is going to see me through. Imagine having that kind of faith. Imagine having, having that kind of faith that when things go well for you, when good things happen to you, it, it, you don't let it go over your, to your head. You don't let yourself become proud. You actually realize, even though you do put in the hard work, but you know that behind the scene, it is God's grace. It is God's favor in your life because you know there are other people who work harder than you and they don't have the same result necessarily. So you have the faith that, hey, it is God that is actually helping me have this success, achieve this business deal, achieve that result. Imagine having that kind of faith, that when things go from bad to worse, you say, it doesn't make sense. I don't understand it. And I'm, I'm really, really in pain right now. But I still believe that God is holding my world in His hand. I still believe God has a perfect plan for my life, so I'm going to do the next right thing. I'm going to put my right foot forward and move on, believing that God is with me. He's never going to leave me, and I have peace about that. Imagine having that kind of unshakable faith that you have no worries about your future, you know, no anxiety, and you say to yourself, I can't even uh, control what, whether or not I'll be breathing tomorrow, so why should I be worried? Why should I be anxious? I'm just going to trust God with everything. I'm going to trust God in, for my marriage, for my children, for my finance, for my future, for my health. I'm just going to trust God because there's nothing I can do about that. Imagine having that kind of faith. You're not being unrealistic. <laughs> You're not living in a dream world. Yeah, you read the doctor's report saying that you have this, you have that, but you still have this unshakable faith that the same God who created your body is able to heal you. But you have faith that it, even if God chooses not to intervene, you still have this incredible faith in Him that everything is going to be all right, that you're going to be taken care of. Imagine having that kind of faith in your life. What difference would it make in your life? Well, you don't really have to imagine because that's exactly where God wants to take you. That's exactly where God wants to take me. If you read the pages of the Old Testament and in the New Testament, that's exactly what the message of the Bible is all about, right? The Bible's message is God wanting to grow your faith. That's exactly what it's all about. Not just change your behavior, but when you read the scriptures, it is all about God wanting to grow your faith. 
Because think about this with me, right? I'm going to prove this to you. The, the break, the first break between God and man was not over the issue of disobedience per se. It's over the issue of trust, right? It's not like God gave Adam a to-do list and Adam broke five out of the seven to-do lists. No, the break between man and God was over man's refusal to trust God. God, you are withholding something good from me. You can't be trusted. God, I don't think you know what's best for me. You can't be trusted. God, you have a different agenda than what you're telling me. You can't be trusted. You see, the issue, the break between man and God was man's refusal to trust God. And God has been reworking and amending that broken trust ever since. That's the whole message of the Bible. That's why God wants to grow your faith, not just change your behavior. If you don't get anything else from today, all right, if you've been checking your Facebook and Instagram, stop it just for five, 50 seconds for me. If you don't get anything else from today, at least get this. God's will for you, doesn't matter who you are. Again, you can be a person of faith, not a person of faith. You may consider yourself a follower of Jesus, not a follower of Jesus. It doesn't matter. God's will for you, God's desire for your life is to draw you into a relationship with Him that is built on solid faith, on trust in Him. That's God's desire for every single one of you. Every single one of you. This is God's will for your life, all right? And, and that's why I believe it is God's desire, more than your own desire, maybe, to actually grow your faith. Do you know that? More than you want to grow your faith, God desires to grow your faith. Why? Because at the end of the day, what God wants is a relationship with you. And what kind of relationship would you have with God if it's not built on trust? If it's not built on, on this you know, mutual belief, mutual submission, mutual trust to each other. That's exactly the reason why God wants to grow your faith. Uh, if you read the Gospels, there are not many things that impress Jesus. All right? There are two things, actually. And I'm going to tell you the first one. Uh, what impressed Jesus in a positive way? All right? In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8, we read this amazing story about Jesus. Jesus was about in the middle of his ministry on earth. He started to do some miracles, some teaching. And so when he went to Capernaum, that's the, the, the home base of his Galilean ministry, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him. Now, a centurion is a Roman military officer in charge of 100 soldiers. That's why he's called a centurion, from which we get the English word century, you see. And you have to remember, he's a Roman. That means he's the enemy, all right? Jewish people hate the Romans because they overtax the Jewish people. They make them do things they don't want to do, stuff like that. They can force people to do things they don't want to do. They are the enemy. They occupied the Israel and so on. So when they came to Jesus, they were all shocked. Like, uh-oh, what did we do? Matthew, what did you do? It's like you're driving along. Suddenly you see this blue and red light flashing behind you. So as it turns out, that the centurion actually wanted Jesus to help him. So in the next verse, verse 6, we read this. Uh, Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Again, using your imagination as you read the scriptures, I imagine the disciples were probably thinking, well, good. I hope it's deadly. 
I hope he dies. I hope it's, it's, it's infectious. I hope you get it as well, Centurion. As far as we're concerned, we don't really care about you or we don't really care about your servant either. And yet, it must have shocked them that Jesus replied in this way in verse 7. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. Isn't that so, Jesus? That Jesus did that even for his enemy? That Jesus, it's just his heart to help people? And, and again, using your imagination, I don't think it's you know, a stretch to imagine the disciples whispering in Jesus' ear, Hey, Jesus, I just, we just want to remind you, this is the enemy we're talking about. We are already in so much trouble with the Jewish leaders. Imagine if we had gone to a place of the enemy... Uh, by the way, they're Gentiles, Jesus, just as a reminder. We Jewish people, we will be ceremonially unclean if we step foot inside a Gentile's home. And imagine what the Jewish leaders would say. We're helping the enemy. That will not look good on us, Jesus. We are already in so much trouble. Please, don't do that. And the centurion, probably hearing all the murmur from the disciples, this is how he replied in verse 8. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come over uh, our roof, uh, my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. I think the centurion is showing, number one, humility here. Like, I, I know who you are. I don't deserve for you to come under my roof. And number two, I, I'm sensitive to your culture as well. I know we Roman people and you Jewish people, we don't really mix. And maybe you get into trouble if you come to my house. So please, you don't, you don't have to come to my house. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. What is he saying? He's saying, Jesus, I believe you can do this from right here. I believe you can heal my servant wirelessly. I believe you can just airdrop this healing on my servant and it's going to be done. That's it. You don't have to come over all the way to my house. And at this, Jesus leaned in and became interested. Okay, tell me more. And this is what the centurion said in verse 9. The centurion replied, For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. So I'm, I'm under someone's authority and I have people under my authority. If I tell this one go, he goes. If I tell that one come, he, he comes. And if I, tell my, I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. In other words, Jesus, we're very different, but there's one thing that we are alike. I know what it's like to have authority, and I know I've seen what you've done. I've seen what you did. I heard the news. I heard the rumor, and maybe it's not surprising if he had witnessed what Jesus had done with his own two eyes. So he said, you couldn't have done what you did unless you have authority. You, for whatever reason, I don't really totally get it, but you somehow have authority over sickness. You have authority over diseases. You have authority over all these things that we normal human beings don't have authority over. I know what it's like to have authority. The reason why my soldiers listen to me is not because I have bigger muscles than them. Some of them are bigger than me, but because I have Rome with me. I have this authority with me. And Jesus, I reckon you have that same authority that I have, maybe even more powerful. That's why I believe you can heal my servant wirelessly. You don't have to come to my house. You can heal him right from here. You know what happened next in verse 10? At that, 
when Jesus heard this, the Bible says, he was astonished. He was amazed. The Greek word is dumazo, meaning like he was floored. He was totally amazed at this man's faith. To the point that Jesus said this in verse 10, I'll tell you the truth. All right? I should have seen this in Israel, but I'll tell you the truth. I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Of all the people in the world, Israel is supposed to have that kind of faith, but they don't. I've never seen that, this kind of faith all over Israel. And in verse 10, Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you believe it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. What's the lesson here? Here's the lesson. Don't miss this, right? Jesus is actually never amazed with people's knowledge or obedience. Never. You know what Jesus amazed at? Jesus is always amazed with people's great faith. Think about this with me. In all of Israel... There are probably nobody more knowledgeable than the Pharisees. Nobody. In all of Israel, there's nobody more obedient than the Pharisees. But have you ever read in all the four Gospels, in all of the New Testament, have you ever read Jesus being impressed with the Pharisees' knowledge? Have you ever read Jesus being impressed with their obedience? No. In fact, the harshest criticism that Jesus had was against the Pharisees, right? Jesus was not impressed with your knowledge. It's great to have knowledge, but Jesus is not, is not impressed with that. Jesus is not even impressed with your obedience. And Jesus wants you to be obedient to God's will in your life, by the way. But he's not even impressed with that. Jesus is only amazed and impressed with one thing, and that is great faith. And that's why he's like, wow, I've never seen this faith in all of Israel. So that's what amazes Jesus. And the flip side of this is true. Just as Jesus is amazed at people's great faith, Jesus is also amazed with people's lack of faith. You see, when he went back to his hometown, he did his usual healing and teaching, and it was wonderful. At, at first, people were really, really amazed. But then jealousy crept in, all right? And Jesus, people tried to bring Jesus down. So this is what the people said about Jesus. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verse 3, we, we were told this. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't he just an ordinary human being just like us? And he makes himself out to be better than us? Isn't this Mary's son and, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? What, what are they doing? They're trying to put Jesus down to their level despite witnessing with their own two eyes what Jesus could do. This is totally different than the centurion. See, the centurion somehow made the connection between what Jesus did and the authority that he had. He must have authority from God. It cannot come from him. So even the centurion can make that connection. That's why Jesus was impressed with his faith. But his own people, his own people, they cannot make that connection. And that's why what Jesus said next is incredible. A lot of people miss this. It's in the Bible. In verse 6 of Mark 6, this is what it says. He was amazed at what? At their lack of faith. There you go. Two things that amaze Jesus. Great faith and lack of faith. Great faith and 
lack of faith. Those are the two things that amaze Jesus, all right? If you want to impress God, if you want to, uh, maybe we can show the next slide. If you want to impress God, if you want to honor Him, show Him your faith in Him. Nothing will make God feel more honored than you showing incredible faith and belief in Him. On the same token, nothing saddens God more than you not having faith in Him. Because what God wants at the end of the day is not your obedience, but it's your relationship with Him. That's why when you don't trust Him, when you don't show faith in Him, it saddens God. I remember when Jaden was young, I don't know, he was five, six years old. Sometimes, from time to time, if he messed up, we discipline him. We love him, right? But we still discipline. Actually, we discipline him because we love him, okay? So I would roll up a newspaper, and I would just touch his butt lightly to show him that I'm displeased with his behavior. I'm always pleased with him because he's my son, but I'm dis- I was displeased with his behavior. So I would touch his butt, butt lightly, and he would cry like, and then I tell him, Jaden, just to remind him, you know that daddy loves you, right? And Jaden replied, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. And I know he was just being upset with me because I disciplined him. But you know what? And I, was, I found myself like, I was amazed. Like, man, that actually kind of hurt me. It hurt me that Jaden think I don't really love him. Imagine what your lack of faith do to God. Because he is your heavenly father. And when you're not showing faith in Him, nothing saddens Him more. Especially for those of you who experience Him. We sang a song just now, you know. You've always been with me. Yeah, and you, you, you never let me fall. You, you, you've experienced yourself how, God, how great God has been in your life, right? Think of the past. Think what God has done in your life. And yet, moving forward, you still don't trust Him? Just because you, you hear this little news from the doctor, suddenly you lose all your faith, nothing saddens God more, especially if you have already experienced His grace, His love, His mercy before in the past, you see. But what is important for us to know as we move forward is this. People confuse what faith is, right? People confuse faith with hope and optimism. That's the difference between hope, op- optimism, optimism and faith, right? The difference is this. Faith has an object. You see, faith has an object. Imagine you're, you're flying to Sydney. You go to Perth Airport and you're flying Qantas, the best airline in the world, never had an accident. So you're about to fly Qantas and, and you are hopeful that your flight is going to arrive in Sydney safely, right? You're optimistic about that. But that's not faith, you see. The reason why you are hopeful that your flight will arrive safely in Sydney, the reason why you, you're optimistic that your flight will arrive safely in Sydney is because you have faith. Where is your faith? Your faith is in the, the, the mechanic of the airplane itself, that you know this airplane is well taken care of, service regularly, right? Oil change, everything. You have faith in that airplane, and you also have faith in the pilot. You believe the pilot is well-trained to fly that aeroplane safely to reach its destination. See, that's the reason for your hope and your optimism, because you have faith in an object, and the object of your faith is the pilot and the aeroplane. 
You see? Faith is not just wishing, thinking that everything is going to turn out right. That's not faith. That's hope. That's optimism. Jesus was not impressed with the centurion's, centurion's hope and optimism that his servant is going to get healed. That's not what impressed Jesus. Jesus was impressed with the centurion's faith in him, you see, that he was able to heal the servant wirelessly. See, that's why Jesus was so impressed, because faith has an object. And if you read the New Testament, Jesus, what he tried to do by the way he taught, by his miracle work, and by everything else that he did, Jesus actually established himself as the trustworthy object of your faith. All right? So for those of you who are researching Christianity, maybe you don't consider yourself a person of faith. There's so many religions to choose from, right? I reckon... Before you make a decision, you gotta study. You gotta you gotta find out for yourself which faith or which person deserves your faith. Does this person deserve to become the object of your faith? You see, faith is not just a leap in the dark. Faith is based on an object. All right, faith always has an object. Before Jesus was crucified, on the night he was about to be uh, betrayed, given over to the Roman soldiers, Jesus spent some time with his followers, with his closest friends, with his disciples. And this is what Jesus said, recorded for us by John in John chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. I know I'm going away, and some of you will be worried. Some of you will feel kind of lost. But listen to what I'm saying to you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Other translation says, just as you have trusted God, put your trust also in me. Do you see what Jesus is doing there? Jesus is putting himself in the same position as God himself. He said, just as you have trusted God, I want you to put that same trust in me. That's exactly what Jesus came to our world to do. Jesus came to show us what God is like. Jesus came to show us what God is like. If I do a survey right now and ask you, hey, hey people, what do you think God is like? I, I guarantee you I'm going to have so many different responses, and some of them will be incomplete. Some of them will be downright wrong about what you think God is like, Right? And that's why Jesus came to show you, to show me what God is like. Because God is spirit. You can't see him, you see. And, and Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Because I and the Father are one. We are, we are, we're the same. And that's the reason why Jesus has all his authority that only God has. For example, forgiving sin. He actually told at one point to a paralyzed person, hey son, your sin is forgiven. And that's... That makes the religious leaders very angry. Who could forgive sin but, but God? You see, throughout his ministry, by the way he forgave that, that woman caught in adultery, I don't condemn you anymore. By the way he's showing grace, by the way he healed the blind, by the way he's just showing mercy after mercy after mercy, by the way he just keeps forgiving and forgiving. That's what God is like. Jesus came to show us what God is like because all of us have this wrong or incomplete 
image of what God is like. And Paul understood this because Paul was brought up uh, in, a, in a Jewish system where he too had an incomplete or sometimes wrong picture of God. And the people that he dealt with, because Paul was a scholar, you see, he dealt with a lot of Greek religions and stuff like that. And this is what Paul said. This is incredible. In one of his letters to, to the church in Colossae, he wrote this. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The Ten Commandments, the Jewish system of the law, all this that you've read in the past, everything that even I have known in the past, I was a Pharisee. I, I knew all this system. And Paul said, all this, as great as they are, and some of you here, you might not even be Jewish. Maybe you've learned about God from nature. Maybe you learn about God from your experience. And that's fine. But Paul said, at the very least, they are incomplete. Maybe sometimes they are downright wrong. These are just a shadow of the things to come. And what he said next is incredible. He said, the reality, however, is found in Christ. Yes, you can learn from the shadow for sure, but it's incomplete. The reality that the shadow tries to show you, to represent, is actually Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus was the perfect representation of the Father. Jesus was the perfect representation of the Father. Whatever picture you have with God, maybe the reason why some of you are losing faith right now, the reason why you're just this close to leave Christianity, maybe you're about to call it quit, right? The reason why your faith is not growing for some of you is perhaps you have an incomplete picture of God. For those of you who want to investigate Christianity, don't start with the book of Genesis. Start with the gospel. Start with Jesus. Because Jesus is the perfect representation of His heavenly Father. The reason why He came to our world, right? The reason why Jesus even showed up to our world. The reason why He wants us to have faith is because of what I said at the beginning. Because He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And the currency of any good relationship is always trust. The currency of every good relationship is trust. You know, you know this to be true. What kind of marriage is it if there is no trust? What kind of parent-child relationship is it if it's just all about obedience and disobedience, if it's not based on trust? The reason why Jesus even showed up to our world it's because God wants to have a relationship with you. And God doesn't want you to make a leap in the dark. Hey, just trust me. Like your mates, you know, telling you to trust him and you don't even know what, what he could do. No, God is not like that. Through Jesus, God shows you what he's like. That he's a kind, loving, merciful, awesome God who is with you and for you and have your best interests in mind. That's the kind of God that Jesus wants you to know. And that's, therefore, He wants you to rebuild again that broken relationship, that broken trust that was broken from the very beginning. You see, God revealed Himself through Jesus. We believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, right? Coming to our world for us, not to condemn us, John 3.17 says, but to give us eternal life. That means to give us this eternal relationship with God forever and ever. And therefore, what Jesus is doing throughout His ministry on earth, and right now in the 21st century, He's still doing it. 
He's inviting you to put your trust in Him. He's inviting you to put your trust in Him. You know why? Because God is most honored. God is most honored by our living, active, death-defying, out-of-the-box, over-the-top trust in Him. That's exactly how God is honored. You know, for those of you, again, who's exploring faith, I want to encourage you to keep on this, keep being on this journey. And for those of you who've been following Jesus for a long time, I believe this series is, 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 is somehow prepared by God to rekindle our faith again, to, to rejuvenate, rejuvenate our faith again. The faith that has been dying maybe because of wrong thinking about God, this and that, God wants to rebuild that trust again. So I want you to keep coming over the next few weeks as we do this together. Uh, this is a six-week series, right? This, today is just the introduction, so please come back next week and the following week. Invite your friends to come because I believe what's going to happen in the next few weeks is going to be life-changing for you as you build your trust in Him because God, more than you want to grow your faith, God wants to grow your faith. Because God knows the difference it can make in your life. Imagine waking up every morning with a perfect faith in God. Isn't that going to affect everything that you do? It's going to affect your outlook in life. It's going to affect your attitude. It's going to affect your work, your school, your marriage, your, your, your health. Your, it's going to affect everything if you have this perfect confidence in God. And that's what God wants you to have. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more great resources and to keep yourself up to date, head to our website. Visit therocks.church.